Today, we're going to talk about how you can have the healthiest divorce possible, some pitfalls to avoid as you prepare, how divorce mediation works, who it benefits, and six questions to ask in order to know if divorce mediation is the right option for you. And also learn why you might not have to hire separate lawyers for your divorce after all. I'm Sharon Pastore, and this is the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Let's move forward. You're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Join us as we help you navigate your divorce without going broke, relationships in ruin, or ending up in court. You'll get into financial and emotional shape, make sense of the legal process, get strong enough to negotiate for yourself, be a mindful parent, stay amicable with your spouse so you can get a fresh start. welcome your host for this episode, Adina Laver, founder of Courage to be Curious and formerly Divorce Essentials. So today's call is on a healthy divorce. And one of the really, I, I thought, greatest registration con- uh, notes that I got, and in fact, it even inspired me to write about it, was this idea, isn't a healthy divorce kind of an oxymoron? What is healthy about this process that can be really difficult? So um, it's a great question. We're going to delve in and we're definitely going to talk about it today. And we're going to do that with our guest speaker, who is Chris Pastore. He is an attorney, mediator, and founder of the Mainline Family Law Center. And um, Chris, I want to welcome you. How are you? I'm fine, Adina, and thanks. This is such a pleasure to be on this call. Fantastic. And so we're going to find out a little bit about Chris and the Mainline Family Law Center, but, and a lot of you are here today to hear about mediation. What is mediation? Um, how do you go about this process? How does that help a healthy divorce? What do we do if we're struggling with a bunch of things? What are some pitfalls to avoid? How do we go about the process? And I also want to say that many times there are a lot of misconceptions. I know even when I'm on the phone with my clients, People will say, well, I can't mediate because of this, or doesn't mediation mean X or Y? And there's so many misconceptions about it that we really want you to walk away today feeling informed, knowledgeable, able to ask more questions if you have them, but to really fully understand this process that we call mediation. So that's one of our goals today. We also want you to know how you can get more information if you need that. So all of that is to come. So, Chris, I want to start out by asking you um, how you came to mediation in your divorce work. How did you come to found this company, Mainline Family Law Center, with actually the website, MyHealthyDivorce.com? Well, sure, Dean, and I'll try to keep a, a sort of a longer story short here. Um, I actually started my career as an attorney tw- over 20 years ago in uh, state government. I was a, a trial attorney. And I worked for a large Pennsylvania state agency and, and really had a nice run there. Uh, actually cut my teeth on the court litigation process. Uh, but at the ripe old age of 34 years old, I decided I needed something a little bit more out of my career. So I delved into private practice. And this is where I found the practice of divorce law. Uh, and, and in divorce law, it, it offered such a challenge to me uh, while touching on so many areas, different areas of human life, for example, financial and tax issues, real estate, estate planning, parenting and family preservation, and even psychology and counseling, which was attractive to me. 
But most importantly, Dean, I found that you know, I had the opportunity to touch and transform people's lives and really be there for them at a time when <clears throat> many of them were at probably the lowest points of their lives. But as I went along in this practice, I started to see a little at a time that this court-contested divorce system was really not the best option for many of my clients and their families uh, because the parties were so contentious uh, and being part of a system that, you know, breeds that to begin with. And there was such a focus on winning and losing a divorce case uh, that a lot of times clients would lose focus on the practicalities of their situation and what were the most important priorities that they should be focusing on. And oftentimes, unfortunately, the children, as the most precious players in a divorce, would get, could get lost in the shuffle and end up suffering the most. So uh, in 2007, I, I uh, discovered the process of mediation, and I began working for a, a divorce mediation firm exclusively, where I mediated hundreds and hundreds of cases and, and also managed and mentored other mediators on our team. So it was a tremendous experience. And from that, in 2011, I was able to springboard and begin my own firm, the Mainline Family Law Center, president, president and attorney mediator for our clients. And, Adine, I can proudly say that I have not set foot in a courtroom further in, near, in nearly seven years. So, so really, that's my story. Right, which is fantastic, and I don't know if anybody in our audience saw the movie. It was not only out for a short run, which which certainly, you know, exposed some of the real tragedies of what can happen in taking a case all the way to a court-contested battle, and that the goal of trying to help people stay out of that and to find ways that even through difficult situations, find ways to amicably resolve um, the, the marriage and, and dissolve the marriage and move on to the next part of their lives is a great service for people. And, you know, you have a pretty, not all mediation firms are the same, and you really had a unique vision when you set up Mainline Family Law Center as to what you wanted here. And I think it's important for our listeners to know when, you're inter- when they're interviewing attorneys, when they're interviewing mediation firms and things like that, that no two are ever the same. So no two attorneys ever practice exactly the same or have the same approach and things like that. And mediation firms all vary. So doing your homework is something I work with clients on a lot is how do I choose the place that's right for me? But you have a pretty unique model. So just like, you know, in a couple sentences, what is the vision that you had and the model that you set up for your mediation firm? Well, sure. Uh, I'd be happy to. Um, what, the, the model that we set up, really, um, you know, because we realized that divorce is, is a heck of a lot more than just, you know, two spouses getting together and deciding, okay, let's sit down, who gets what? Uh, we divide and then they move on to their separate lives. You know, that, that, that a divorce presents so many complex aspects that most spouses don't even consider them, you know, through, through no fault of their own because they've just never been through the process. That when these complexities arise, in order to have the healthiest divorce possible, we found is by taking this, uh, what we call a holistic approach through our, our My Healthy Divorce model. And that approach really employs or engages the assistance of a number of different non-legal professionals who are often needed to help spouses navigate through all these complexities. You know, for example, you know, marriage and family therapy, if that's necessary for the family, uh, both spouses and their children, uh, as they adjust through this emotionally uh, life-altering transition. Uh, divorce and relationship coaches, like, like the work that you do, Adina, to help spouses literally transform 
and spring themselves into action so that they can more boldly and confidently move forward in their divorce. So in all the work that you do, financial planning with, you know, especially with larger estates, you know, you've got clients, especially the 55 and over clients who are sort of what we say in the the home stretch uh, towards retirement, you know, and sometimes, uh, you know, social security and elder care issues come up. And and so a planner really uh, can be necessary for, for those issues and those types of clients. Tax accountant tax issues that are always, always prevalent upon a divorce that spouses don't realize. Real estate agents, mortgage brokers, for example, these professionals, when a, ha- when a marital home needs to be sold or refinanced. And then estate planning. So updating and getting a new will, you know, once the divorce is final to, to plan for and, and provide for your individual estate plan after the divorce is final. So, so that was really our vision, uh, incorporating all these professionals so that we can be comprehensive and cover every aspect of a divorce so that no stone is left unturned. Spouses can move forward confidently uh, and know that they've addressed everything in their settlement. Right, which is, I'm so glad that you raised all of that, Chris, because one of the things, and I know we're going to come to it later when we talk about myths about mediation, is that how able a mediation firm often is to deal with all the complexities, that it's not only that you would go to mediation if everything is easy and simple and clean and there isn't any complexity, but that a mediation firm such as yours has the ability to navigate, to partner with these other experts just as a, another kind of an attorney firm would and to be able to handle them. And so it's really important for clients to know that all the support is out there and available and can really um, help them to navigate through. So um, we're going to come back to that again, but I'm really glad that you raised that and demonstrated, you know, how you've put this together, recognizing all of the varied needs that people have. So let's delve in for a couple of minutes on this question of what is a healthy divorce, because it does seem like an oxymoron. I mean, the movies, the TV shows, all those things about divorce certainly does not look like a healthy process. So what do you mean, you know, about healthy divorce? Because you kind of really took that term and ran with it in terms of your model and your website. So what is a healthy divorce? Sure, Dina. You know, uh, when we thought about healthy divorce and what that is, obviously, you know, that can be, uh, you know, a subjective kind of a definition, and, and perhaps we should call it a healthier divorce rather than a healthy divorce. We, we're not here to sugarcoat what a divorce is. I mean, a divorce is very difficult. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's um, you know, very taxing on those involved and their families and, and in many ways. But we can make it a better process. And, and if I were to, to define it in my own words, I, I would say that it, a healthy or a healthier divorce is a, is a divorce in which two spouses are committed to resolving their divorce, preferably by any other means than submitting to a traditional court-contested litigation. So, um, and their keys to doing that would, you know, uh, would, would be this. I would say, first of all, they have to be generally amicable with each other. You know, they don't have to necessarily be best friends anymore, but they, they, they have to be on amicable footing. Uh, they have to agree that their marriage has ended, uh, that they're not out to harm or hurt one another, both emotionally and financially, that they agree to prioritize their children first and all the decisions that they're going to be making together for their divorce, uh, if children are involved, of course. And they're not interested in spending a lot of time and money in order to prove a point to the other spouse. This is what you often see, you know, because 
one may feel anger or hurt or resent or jealousy or, you know, maybe there's an infidelity that occurred or spite towards the other spouse. This always lands clients in uh, divorce court, uh, and oftentimes those cases get very ugly. So, so being able to, to recognize these things and avoid these, these, these types of pitfalls. But um, I think those are some of the keys uh, to gravitate towards a healthier divorce. Absolutely. And I want to add to that, you know, in that coaching way that I do, that in a, choosing a path that is healthier from a legal standpoint, not choosing a way that will cost more money, have a greater emotional toll, is absolutely a huge decision and a really important decision to make in the process of divorce. And when I think of healthy divorce, I also recognize, think that Divorce is one of the biggest transitions that any couple and any individual will ever pass through. And it's at the times when we're in those greatest transitions that as difficult as they seem, it's also the greatest opportunity for growth. And that we have seen, I know you've seen, I know I've seen, many people, individuals come through this much stronger on the other side when they've really accepted the fact that this transition is occurring, that it's painful, it's not what anybody wanted, and that there is an opportunity to rebuild on the other side. And when their focus is more future-oriented rather than it is in, as you said, retribution or you know getting somebody back or proving a point and things like that, then it can be a much healthier process because divorce will not last forever. It will last for a period of time and then um, it will become a post-divorce life and we really want people to focus on that and that can really help to support a healthier process. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about... Um, Mediation, you know, mediation is one of these processes that has, is out there as a means to a healthier divorce. So you said some of the things that people need to be able to agree upon in order to come to mediation. So what is it about mediation that makes it a healthy process or supports that healthy or healthier process that you described? Sure, sure. Well, Adina, mediation, first of all, uh, spouses are, uh, it, you know, it has to be made clear up front that spouses are not participating in any court-contested divorce at all. So they never retain their own attorneys, you know, and they never engage in what we would know as, uh, perceive as a long and drawn-out court battle, you know, as we all hear about. Um, rather, this process is conducted in a completely private and confidential setting. You know, at no point during the process do either the spouses or their children ever have to go to court. So no hearings, no judges, uh, no angry and intimidating, let's, let's call them bulldog attorneys in some cases. Uh, you, you don't have to deal with any of that. Um, the process is quick, it's efficient, and it's aimed to, to protect and provide for the family and, uh, unit after the divorce is final so that the family can emerge as healthy, as whole as they possibly can. Um, when spouses come to mediation, it's important to note that they come on equal footing. So uh, what that means is that they are both in complete control of all of their own decisions that they will make together. And frankly, Adina, you know, they want to be in that position, you know, those of our clients that work with us, because only they know best what, what, uh, what, what, you know, what is best for they and them and their families. Uh, more so than, let's say, a judge or, uh, you know, an attorney or uh, an overworked court system might have the time to, to evaluate. So they, they're there because they want to make the, their own decisions. 
and, and take control of their own destinies after the divorce. What does the mediator do? What is their role? Uh, the mediator uh, is a neutral third party in this process. We, uh, the mediator doesn't represent either spouse privately, but again is instead concerned with protecting and providing for the best interests of each spouse and their children if children are involved you know, after the divorce. Uh, so, so what, what, what are the different hats that a mediator wears? I mean, uh, they, we do wear a lot of hats in, in the room. And one, and one primarily is to educate the spouses on their basic, on the basic legal concepts in a divorce so that they can fully understand at the outset all of their basic legal rights and obligations. So that, this is very key because without that general baseline of knowledge, they're not going to be able to make informed decisions about their own settlement. Uh, and once they, they have that information, they just run with it. I mean, they have the freedom to create whatever agreement they want that works the best for them. Um, and, so, Chris, uh, can I stay here and ask a couple questions before you roll on further? Okay. So let me just pick up on a couple things you said and help our audience to understand more of what this looks like and feels like. So you said a quick time frame. Like, what does quick mean? What, how long does mediation in general take? Well, Adina, the... The process of mediating to, to get a, to get an actual signed and notarized agreement can take anywhere, typically between two to three months. Uh, and then, if they're if they're the spouses are seeking a divorce, and we assist them through that process, many times there's a 90 day wait period in Pennsylvania before they can actually get the decree. But but our process to get the agreement usually anywhere between two to three to four months. Right, which is actually an incredible thing because, you know, divorces that go other directions can take months, like months and months, or even years. So I have a client who's working two and a half years, not on a mediated divorce, but another form of divorce. And so divorce that's not really resolved through settlement or through mediation pretty amicably can go on for years, really preventing people from moving on with their lives. And so um, it's few months, you know, two to four months to create an agreement and then three months to get it through the court, you know, for the court system to approve it and finalize it is quite quick compared to what the, some of the other options and processes can look like. Yeah. You also said something, you know, one of the things when they come in is to help give people um, basic knowledge. You know, what are the, what are some of the rights? Can you give us an example of just one or two areas where somebody could come in and if they were going to, you know, become a little bit educated, what could they, what would they become educated on? What infra kinds of information would they receive? You don't have to give us all the details, but just what are some of the parts of that? Sure. Well, for example, before we spouses can decide on, on sort of how to divide the marital estate, uh, the marital pot, as we call it, you know, what's in, in the pot and what's outside the pot. So we educate them on what marital property is in Pennsylvania. What does date of separation mean from a legal perspective? Because that has legal significance in a divorce. That's usually the date when all marital asset values and debts uh, cut off as of that time. So we, we discuss and, and we apply that to their particular uh, estate uh, during the mediation. Equitable distribution in Pennsylvania. So, so there is, there is a, oftentimes an assumption when spouses come to mediation that, okay, we're mediating, so we split everything down the middle 50-50. Well, um, and you may very well decide, a couple may very well decide to do that, but um, they, they are 
initially apprised that in Pennsylvania, being an equitable distribution state, it's not always necessarily 50-50, but it's discretionary with the Pennsylvania court. So we go over that statute. We take a look at the equitable distribution factors that a court can look at so that the parties, you know, the, the spouse, spouses can know and understand what the court standard is first and then be able to, you know, you know, to apply that to, you know, you know, what's more, what works best or most practical in, in their situation. Now, with property division, we look at uh, the financial needs going forward and, and uh, divide the estate, you know, in proportion with what they are. And that's, and that's how we do that most fairly. So that's an example of some of the education that they'll receive. Now, I want to point out, Adina, um, that this baseline of knowledge is not to be construed as legal advice. So the mediator cannot provide legal advice in the sense that they're representing either one or the other spouse and, and recommending and, and saying, look, well, you should offer this to, to your wife or husband and so forth. And, you know, that's not the function of the mediator. Uh, but we can provide a, a baseline of, of legal knowledge and information that becomes necessary for the decision-making. Right, which is really important for a level playing field because the law can be really confusing just to pick it up and read it on your own. So to be able to have somebody who can at least explain the information that's there, tell you what the things are that you can be considering in the course of your negotiations with one another has tremendous value even, again, as you said, if it's not advice about what we should do. But without that, people can feel like they're completely in the dark as to where to even begin. So it seems like a tremendous benefit for people to be able to come and get that kind of education. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, because one of the pieces we haven't talked about that, of course, is a huge concern for people is about their children, and it's one of the greatest benefits of mediation as compared to a court-contested divorce is the fact that parents, not, you know, court evaluators and parenting evaluators or judges or things like that are deciding what would happen with their children, you know, custody and things like that. So how does that all work in mediation? Uh, Sure, Dina. Um, in mediation, and as part of our program, uh, we we have our clients work with a, a a parenting mediator that's specifically trained and certified to work with our clients uh, around all those complex parenting issues and logistics. So, um, when they meet with our parenting mediator, uh, and they're given, uh, you know, again a a a background before they meet with her, they, uh, some of the issues they can expect to discuss in there. And again, they get that general legal framework uh, that they'll need to know, you know, to work around the decisions that they have to make. Um, but you know, uh, you know, and, and it's amazing when when they come into that, it, it come into that uh, 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 parenting meeting that they're able just in a few short hours to to really uh, come to an agreement. That works best for their children and for the for the, the family logistics at large. So, um, you know, it, it, it's not what you might think. I mean, and the reason why spouses are so successful in, in in our parenting mediation is because they understand what's at stake going into the process. Um, and so we, you know, we we discuss that with them in advance. So we say, look, you have to be here for the right reasons. You have to be here the best interest of your children, you've got to place them first. This is not about winning and losing, who gets more custody time. Um, but, 
you know, and that we, we reaffirm the idea with them that, that it's healthy for parents to be with both parents, you know, that, you know, and, and, uh, to depart or to start with that idea or that concept. And once they get that, they go in there and it's amazing, you know, how, just how fair they can be with one another when they're negotiating custody issues. And I think that's a really important point that I just want to underscore for listeners, too, because depending upon the stage that someone's at when a marriage first starts to break down or if there's been infidelity or other kind of moral infractions and things like that or somebody's been really significantly hurt or deceitful, that trust can feel like it's completely gone out the window. They can feel like, you know, alienated from the person, they're not trusting of the person, that they're now at war with the person. Any number of things can come up. And the fact is, is that because hurt is there and because things have happened doesn't mean that everything that had existed in the relationship before is gone or that every, that trust is gone in all areas. So if someone for example, if there was infidelity, there was a breach in, um, in trust in the intimacy of the relationship, but it doesn't necessarily mean that this person can't be trusted as a parent and hasn't always been a good parent or a trustworthy or a loving parent and things like that. It sounds like your process, as you said, tries to help people to distill out because just because one thing has um, gone bad in the relationship doesn't mean that there's no way to work together towards for other things that are important. And certainly the children are at the top of the priority list for those who care, you know, you know, for everyone who's sort of caring about the healthy process for their kids. And so I think it's essential to sort of say that even if it's really difficult in some parts, there's still the ability to salvage enough to come together and make these agreements when there's something that we can value more than our hurt and more than our anger. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, mediation, the the process is just about that. It's about making the best of an unfortunate situation and salvaging, uh, you know, what may have been, you know, some of the best parts of your marriage. You know, a lot of folks come in there and they want to use mediation as a way to honor the best parts of their marriage. And, and, and some of them, their best parts were in the way that they parented, parented their children together. We have a lot of clients that come in and say, well, you know, we were, we, we were always on the same page with our children. That, that's not the reason why we're divorcing. So that just continues into the, into the mediation process. And it's always beautiful to see that when we have clients coming in, in that, with that mindset because they can put aside what got them there, the anger, the hurt, the resentment that they might feel, the emotions, and be able to just sit down and do what's right and what's best by those children because they know by doing that, number one, they're going to spare their children and give them a better chance to emerge from this divorce in a healthier way. Um, and in a lot of cases, make their children proud of them as well. And, and we see that happening a lot too. Mm, right, it's beautiful. Let me head into one area of question here, and this kind of goes a little bit to something you're going to talk about later about who can mediate. But this question of you said people coming in on equal footing, meaning both are in an equal position to be able to negotiate with each other and to be able to come to an agreement. And we know lots of times that there is intimidation. One 
one partner may feel intimidated or may feel bullied by the other or may not feel like they are on equal footing. And yet somehow we've still seen that sometimes these couples can mediate. So how does that happen if they don't initially come in feeling like they're on equal footing? What can they do to get there? And what are the different kinds of supports or, you know, other things that they can do to be able to still mediate even if they don't initially feel like they're on equal footing with their partner? Sure. That, that's great and a critical question, really, a lot of times, the mediation. Um, when spouses come in for initial consults, and, and, and what I can sometimes do is, is recognize those, those situations where there's going to be a power imbalance or, you know, those kinds of issues that might exist that you discussed, and to be able to recognize them up front. And really, I'm very uh, straightforward with, forward with those spouses, and I say, look, this, you know, this, this could be an issue and, you know, it could present a barrier to you being able to do this. So let's figure out, you know, how we can, you know, um, get you both in a better position so that you can, you know, that you can do this process more uh, successfully and effectively. So um, one way, is, and, and I usually, when I tell them this, it, 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 it's very disarming and, and comforting to them, is I tell them that, you know, nobody comes into this process with any type of distinct advantage at all. And, and, I, and I get resistance from that sometimes. Sometimes spouses come in and say, well, look, my, my husband or my wife handled all the finances, and they, so they understand all those things, and I left that to them during the marriage, and I don't know what I'm doing. You know? Well, part of the mediation process, as I said, when, when spouses start on equal footing, uh, this means that it doesn't matter what their backgrounds are. It doesn't matter what kind of knowledge they have, education. You know, I've mediated with attorneys in the room, too, uh, and their spouses, uh, you know, and I explained to them, look, it does not matter because you're both going to be educated in the same way. We're going to talk about all the relevant issues that are going to apply here, uh, and you're both going to have an equal understanding of what they are, you know, and it's going to be broken down uh, in very simple terms to you both. Uh, so that you can both be positioned to understand and be able to make those dis- informed decisions together. Nevertheless, you may have somebody coming to the process not just not feeling comfortable, uh, you know, uh, with this concept of mediating with a spouse. Maybe they do feel intimidated. Um, so they're, they're, in, in that case, I will suggest or recommend that they work with, let's say, somebody like you, Adina, a, a divorce and relationship coach, to sort of help them along and help to build strategies so that they can come to that process and be able to ask for, for what they want confidently, speak up. Because in mediation, I will never uh, have a situation where one client does all the talking. Uh, that just doesn't work. I'm, I'm always going to engage both clients to speak because I need to know what they're thinking, what their thoughts are, what their opinions are, what's most important to them. Uh, and that's critical to the process. So that's one way in which I kind of even out the playing field, so to speak, uh, during the mediations and in advance of the mediations. And, of course, all the support that they can seek out through a coach, through a therapist to help them develop strategies so that they can get more comfortable with mediation. And why don't you also say a word about a draft review attorney so that people understand how that works in the process too, because that's another kind of support that people can access that can help to level the playing field a bit for people. 
sure. And in our process, um, and, and I, I always say it, it's as, as an extra protective measure, although spouses in mediation are not retaining their own attorneys, at the end of our process uh, and before they actually sign any agreement that I would draft, they have the, the option, they have the right to have it reviewed by an independent attorney of their choice. Uh, so this is an independent divorce attorney outside of our process who didn't participate in our process. Um, and we're not asking that attorney to reinvent the wheel of what, you know, the clients have created, and the spouses have created in, in, an, in an agreement that they perceive to be fair, but just a quick review um, uh, to just as sort of a second opinion, if you will, to make sure that it is, in fact, a fair agreement, that, it, that, it, that it, it's on all fours and that it reads cogently and, and, it's, and, um, you know, and that it provides uh, adequately. Uh, so they do have an opportunity to get that outside perspective if, in fact, they do want that second opinion. So that, that, um, you know, that gives them that extra protective measure uh, as part of our process. Right, which, you know, and all these things are great to be able to help people successfully work through this mediation process, which can be a very powerful and a very um, important choice for achieving a healthy divorce and can seem a little scary up front. So it's really great to be able to share with people what are these different ways that this can work and in, in many different nuanced situations. Um, I want you to comment because, you know, you are an attorney mediator, and many mediators are attorney mediators, and some are not. So, you know, just what are the range, because some people on the call live in the range where they, you know, are going to pick up the phone after this and call you and say, I want to talk to you, Chris. And some people are living in other counties in Pennsylvania and in other states around the country. So what are the types of mediators that are out there, you know, just so we have a sense of the range, and when people are interviewing their mediators, they can ask intelligent questions to find out what type of situation might be suitable for them. Sure, sure. Um, in Pennsylvania, at least, and, and mediation uh, in other states, uh, uh, you know, there, there, are, there are some states that, that regulate the practice, and I believe New Jersey is the closest state where they actually have, uh, you know, standards and regulations. In Pennsylvania, we haven't seen those yet, but I, I know that they are coming soon. Um, but as it stands, um, you can have attorney mediators and non-attorney mediators. So uh, it, it, we're talking about in a divorce case specifically now. So um, an attorney mediator, uh, you know, in the capacity that I practice, um, obviously, you know, has a law degree and uh, in many cases has practiced law, uh, pr- preferably in the divorce law arena, uh, because they can offer clients that, that, that perspective and experience that they have having worked in that area, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a divorce attorney. Um, so you have that type of a, of a mediator versus a non-attorney mediator. Uh, you, you have therapists that are, that are uh, helping clients negotiate certain aspects of divorce. Clergymen have been known to do that. Uh, financial experts, uh, financial, uh, um, financial planners, accountants, uh, to, to help clients, you know, who in particular have a complex financial divorce to resolve. So, so any of these other professionals have been known, uh, to, to, uh, act as a mediator to help clients through a divorce. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead, Adina. 
Right. And in terms of, you know, when people are making their selections and choices and you're out there, and I always encourage people to do a lot of interviewing before you decide, you know, these are, Chris is giving us great things to think about here as to when you're interviewing what's appropriate for your situation and who do you feel most comfortable having working on your agreement. And so we want to be able to give you sort of this range so you know what to look for and you know what kinds of questions to think about asking. So really appreciate. So now let's spend a few minutes here. Like we started to talk before about some of the myths about mediation and what are some of the possible misconceptions or myths about it. And you said spoke before about everything's just split 50-50 and you walk in and someone just drafts that up for you and we realize that's not the case. Um, what are some of the other misconceptions that people have that um, might keep them from considering mediating? Sure. Um, some of the common ones that, that we uh, encounter all the time uh, is, is this idea that parties who mediate are, are not as legally protected in mediation. And this is probably the biggest myth and that's why I mention it first here. Um, as I mentioned earlier, spouses who mediate do not need attorneys by their side in mediation uh, because they're armed with, with all the, new, the legal knowledge that they will need to have in order to apply, to apply the law to their particular set of circumstances. So, uh, and especially if they work with a mediator who has been to court and understands how the court process works in a divorce, this can be a great benefit to them because they have this perspective. But really, Adina, the end result in, in all my in my experiences, you know, having mediated now several hundreds of these cases, is that the majority of them, spouses, really end up in the same place as they would had they gone to court. Um, only in mediation they will have saved the world of time and money and resources, and also sparing their family from some of the emotional harm that can result from a, a court-contested divorce. So really a big myth there, that, that they're just as legal, legally protected in mediation, um, if not more, because they're more in control of, of, uh, of their own destiny and their own future. So, and, they, and they come in with that knowledge, knowledge base to begin with. Right. So, Chris, when you say that, I know I have people, you know, say to me, their spouse says, well, I'm going to take you, you know, if you don't do this and I'll take you to court because then I'm going to get everything. And so how true is that idea that, well, gee, if they didn't mediate, but they took their spouse to court, they could win everything? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, Dina, nobody wins everything in a divorce. I mean, that's, in, in fact, that can segues into another misconception that there is no ideal divorce settlement, whether you mediate or go to court, in the sense that, Neither, neither spouse will get everything that they ask for. I mean, and this is just the bare truth and reality of the situation. Um, there always is compromise. There has to be compromise on both sides. Both, both parties, both spouses have to be willing to give something up. Uh, so when I hear the spouses saying that, I mean, I, you know, I, most of the time they, they're, can be dismissed as sort of empty threats, you know, but, but it's not grounded in any reality. Um, and uh, so that's, that's, that's really what's behind all of that. And so um, any other misconceptions you're thinking of that come up a lot that you want to share? Uh, sure. The, uh, the idea that mediation is not legally binding, and, and uh, mm. yes, it is, it is completely legally binding. Um, in fact, in our program, what, what I do is I personally prepare the marital settlement of the agree- agreement for the, for the, uh, for the clients, and once they sign it, it becomes a legally binding contract. And then if they're seeking a divorce, we attach it to our divorce filing, and then it, it has the full effect and enforceability of a final court order. So 
uh, yeah, it's just as legally binding as, as, if, as if they had gone to court and litigated. Fantastic. So I want to wrap up kind of this part of our conversation with two things. So we're going to cover two topics that are just for everyone who's still on the call here, which I think almost everybody is, which is great, is, you know, mediating or not, what are the pitfalls that to avoid that can help you have a healthy divorce? And then, you know, what are the questions to ask yourself to see whether or not you can mediate? So let's start with the pitfalls, like whether I'm mediating or I'm going to attorney or whatever, like what are the absolute things I want to avoid in order to be able to set myself up for the healthiest divorce possible. Sure, Dina. And there are really a couple of uh, a couple ones here that always come up, and uh, and that is number one, accepting the advice of well-intentioned friends and family members as, as gospel, if you will. Um, although these folks mean well, uh, they're oftentimes misinformed, uh, and what happens is because there's no two divorce cases that are the same, so. You might have a friend or family member that approaches you and says, well, you know, you should go to court and ask for this because my Aunt Mary or my Uncle Charlie got this in their divorce. So, you know, you'll, this is what you'll, you'll get. And what happens is they, they, uh, they're misinformed most of the time, uh, and although they mean well, and they can set you down a very unhealthy and destructive path if you allow yourself to, you know, to listen to them wholeheartedly. I mean... So I'm not saying don't listen to them, but just take what they're telling you with a grain of salt. That's very, very important. Um, also, when when um, spouses go and have a consult with an attorney, a private attorney, um, it's the attorney's job to give them a general assessment of what, of sort of what they could expect and what they're looking at, you know, uh, if they decided to, to litigate. Um, but nobody, because of the unpredictable nature of going to court, nobody can really tell you how it's going to end up with any kind of specificity um, or accuracy. We can just, an attorney should only be able to provide a, a, a sort of a general range or a general sense. But what happens oftentimes is that spouses, when they get this advice, they really go to town on it. And sometimes they'll come home and talk to their spouse and say, hey, well, my attorney told me I could get this, this, and that. So therefore, I'm taking you to court for everything, you know. And that's really where they, they uh, you know, that, that's really they have to, to try to avoid that type of a situation because that will send them down the wrong path. Um, moving or shifting marital funds without the other spouse's knowledge. Again, a big one here. This can make or break whether or not you have a healthy divorce or can have a healthy divorce because it really sets the tone for trust up front. If you want to do this in, in the right and the proper way and, 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 you know, if you want to do it amicably, by all means, let your spouse know when you're doing these kinds of things. You know, if you intend to maybe close an account or move funds from one to the other, explain to them what you're doing and the reasons for doing it rather than just doing it without let, letting them know. This will go a long way towards ensuring that you have a healthier divorce because there's that tone of trust that's been set up front. Um, right. And Chris, I'm just going to jump in there and then I want to jump to your six questions. But that the piece about the money, it is the place that people get most nervous most quickly. So as soon as things have maybe gotten difficult or tense, people get very self-protective around the money. And as you said, moving money, taking things out, making big expenditures and things like that, trying to protect oneself. The fact is like been in a marriage a long time and trying to refrain from doing those things, knowing that whatever anger it is right now, 
going to dissipate a little bit, but staying open and staying honest about that, because as soon as those financial moves are made, then it really can spiral out of control in all directions, as you described, and then it's very, very difficult to pull it back in. So that is a huge and really significant, important piece of advice. And still finding ways to protect oneself financially is also important, which is why it's good to get to go Good to get good counsel on that. So, Chris, last thing I want to ask you is you have six questions to ask yourself to determine if you and your partner can mediate. And we have just about another minute or here before I start to close things up for today. So what are those six questions? How do we know if we are eligible to mediate? Okay. And we have a minute, so I'll go through these pretty quickly. Um, number one, and again, I, I don't rank these in any particular order, but I think the first one is extremely important, though, and, and I'll mention it first. Uh, is your marriage really over? So ask yourselves, you know, ha, you know, is it over or not? And if so, you know, have you fully accepted this reality? Because you really can't mediate unless you both have come to that final decision. Number two would be, are you, inter- are you interested in doing what's right and what's best by your family rather than being focused on, you know, who wins and who loses a divorce case? So that's, that's uh, critical as well. Um, how are you feeling at, at the time you make this, this decision? Are you angry? Are you out to, to hurt or harm your spouse in a divorce, either financially or emotionally or both? If not, then you can certainly do something like this. Uh, do you want what's best in, uh, for your children if children are involved? And are you willing to place their interests first in the decisions that you're going to make together for your settlement? And, and not just custody decisions, but financial ones as well. Um, do you have a basic level of trust in your spouse? So, um, <clears throat> you know, that, that your spouse is there to do the right thing and what's right and what's best. Will they disclose all of their information? And once they've done that, because they, they're going to be required to do that in mediation, will you then be asking, well, is that everything or are they hiding something? So if you have any of those kinds of doubts, then you should be questioning whether or not you can do this. And finally, do you want to retain control of your own decisions? So rather than putting those decisions in the fate of the court system and in, in the hands of, quite frankly, a system that's overworked and it's not going to have the time to really sit down and analyze all those things that are important to you in this divorce, um, and do you want to retain uh, exclusive control over the, of your of your own decisions, uh, which can be very empowering, uh, by the way, and that's really the, the the main feature of what mediation is about. So, um, so those are the six points, that, the, the the most critical ones that I can think of uh, that you can assess. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. And I know one I always think about, you know, asking is like, who do we want to be in this? You know, if we have children, you know, if we're fighting, you know, what model are we setting? If we're trying to, to, you know, if we do battle each other, you know, what's going to happen to our kids and that. But even importantly, if we don't have children, but who do we want to be? And when I look back on this, who's the self I want to look back at in terms of how we went through this process together? hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Divorce Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Sharon Pastore, or my partner, Chris Pastore, at MyHealthyDivorce.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, 
You can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.